We have finally made it to Spider-Man No Way Home Week. But before we review that movie on Friday, we're bringing you all of your top news and a Hawkeye review on this very fine Wednesday. We also have an interview with actress Molly Quinn later in the show where she discusses a lot about famed Adam Warlock actor Will Poulter. To jump ahead to where you want to be, time codes are in the description down below. Let's get busy. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I have birth to a glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us tonight. I'm a superhero! Episode 64 of the Direct Podcast in your ears on a Wednesday. That's right, Ooh. back on Wednesdays, one week only, just to ensure that we can bring you that Spider-Man No Way Home review as soon as possible i am your host the content machine liam crowley joined alongside as always by my co-host the friendly neighborhood matt remke matt here we are pre-recording some stuff on a monday how was your weekend it was fantastic um you know busy weekend i uh, got a sick wife at home so oh. i was tending to her all weekend but um you know it, it was just kind of relaxing because of that we didn't do anything because she was sick um, a lot of football, so much football. Uh, the Colts moved into a playoff spot without having to play a game, which is always exciting and very fun for anybody who's on a bye week. And uh, we face your New England Patriots this weekend uh, in a battle of what I would say are the two hottest teams in the AFC. So that's really exciting as well. Um, we're going to see if Mac Jones can play football, you know, like for real, for real, you know, like Col Colts are one of those like shut down a faction of the game kind of teams. You know what I'm saying? So um, it'll be interesting. It's uh, it's a Saturday Saturday night football. You know how do you, how do you beat that? Coming off of Spider Man No Way Home on Thursday night, Friday night, it's just going to be a great weekend for entertainment as a whole. All while I am traveling to Indiana to do four family Christmas parties in as many days. Don't you love that? No, hit me in the head with a hammer. What, <laughs> like, dude? That's so much driving. It's so much driving. The, the driving hours away. It's, oh, it's a nightmare. The driving is a headache, but I love the ambiance of seeing everyone again, dressing nicely. Yes. You know, the, the, the desserts are always prime, you know, getting to see cousins and whatnot. I love a good family Christmas party. I couldn't agree more. And I'm very excited for the actual party aspect of it. But between weddings and funerals and other things, I've been home once a month for the past four or five months. And I'm just ready to be home for a little while, you know, in Colorado. It does not have to go back to Indiana. But no, it's going to be super exciting. Going to see No Way Home with the boys back home. Uh, Aaron's going to see it with me on opening night something that she's very excited about. She just got done rewatching all the Spider Man movies. Um, she, she liked all of them. She, uh, you know, she doesn't have a nostalgia with the old Raimi movies. So, you know, she doesn't really get the quirks of it that we do. Uh, her favorite moment in Spider-Man so far, though, outside of the MCU, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And I've never seen anybody mark out as, as much as she did. And she really did. I've never seen her get excited about a movie, but she went all off. Is she a New Yorker? No, <laughs> no, she was just feeling it. She was just in it. It was so funny. I love that. I love that. We've said No Way Home so many times. We're going to say it at least one more time at the top. That's right. Spider-Man No Way Home, our review bonus episode dedicated to that entire film drops this Friday, December 17th. Check your podcast feeds. We're doing it as soon as possible to ensure 
everyone can have it at their disposal right when they leave the theater. So even if you're not seeing No Way Home until Saturday or Sunday, it's going to be in your podcast feeds from now until eternity. So download it, save it, go see the movie, come back in and hear us gush about what we like, what we didn't like, what we love, what we hated, what we're going to speculate from now until the future. It'll be there. Before we get into our quick question, I want to give a quick shout out to Emmalyn Rose. Met a fan this past weekend in Fairfield, Connecticut, visiting two of my friends from home. Wild experience. Can't believe these people are real. You know, we actually (laughs) have people out there who listen to our stuff. And it's not just a number and not just an account on Twitter uh, showing so love. So, Emmalyn, thank you again so much uh, for saying hi. Quick question this week. We're going to mute some Spidey buzzwords. Bang. There is so much that we need to do to ensure that people don't get this movie spoiled. And I know that this episode, if you're listening to day of release, uh, it's Wednesday. So you only got a couple days. And if you haven't done your homework yet to ensure that you are not getting anything spoiled for you ahead of time, we're going to help you out real quick. Matt and I are going to ping pong some spidey words that you need to mute on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, uh, to ensure that no spoilers pop up in your timeline. Absolutely. It's very important. It's an important thing to do. I remember when Endgame came out, this was a big deal. You know, the the Bob Fox mute word list, you know, that was a thing that came out. Um, I do want to tell a quick story really quick. A friend of the show, our box office correspondent, David Thompson. Have you ever heard of him? Once or twice. Good guy, Colts fan. Um, he, we were talking earlier, and we were talking about Spider Man, and you know, just we were talking about Spider Man too. Can you believe it? Um, and uh, we were just going back and forth, and uh, he, we were talking about how excited we were to see this movie. I mentioned that I was getting to see it early, and he was very excited for me, and I'm very excited for myself. But we also talked about how the opening night uh, premiere experience is going to be something crazy, right? And I was talking to him. I said, "Hey, make sure you lock down on Wednesday." Because they're releasing a third trailer and it releases in the UK that day. You know, it releases a day earlier than here in the US. And he said something along the lines of, eh, I'll, I'll watch the trailer. You know, it's going to be hard not to get things spoiled for me. I said, David, David, this is your movie. You're the biggest Spider Man fan at the direct. Think about it. Five years from now, you're going to be able to look at your friends when we talk about No Way Home and be like, yeah. I deleted social media for two whole days before I saw it because I was that committed to not getting spoiled there at the end. Like, don't, don't think, ah, I've seen all the trailers. I've seen the leaks. It's going to be fine. This is, we still have work to do to not get this game, this movie spoiled for us. So put in that extra effort because you're going to be kicking yourself if you get it spoiled. And the only thing I have to prove that Harry styles, think about it. Think about how big of a pop that would have been. Had we not known? And and max that times 10 here with Spider-Man. So we're going to mute some Spidey buzzwords today. Let's mute some Spidey buzzwords. Ones off the top that are very easy. Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Spider-Man both with the hyphen and with not because people spell it differently on Twitter. If you mute it with the hyphen, you ensure that people uh, who are just tweeting it get muted. But without the hyphen, ensures the hashtag also does not sure. pop up in your, in your timeline. So very important. Those are three right off the bat. Uh, no Way Home. Electro, Doc Ock, Goblin, Sandman, Lizard. You know, get the characters out of the way. MJ, Ned, Aunt May, Happy. If, if you know what character's in the movie, mute them. Be safe. Get the actors out of the way, too. Tom Holland, for one, but Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield should be at the top of your buzzword mute list because if they are in this movie, their names will show up on your Twitter timeline between now and when you see it. So Toby Maguire, 
Andrew Garfield, Andy Garfield, Andy Gar, any nickname you can think of, (laughs) like shut it down. You know, Tobes, Tobes McGuire, Toby M, Andrew G, Andy G, all of it. Toy Story, just because of Andy. Go one further, Uncle Ben, Mysterio, Tony Stark, um, uh, MCU, Marvel, Sony, anything. Anything that is connected to these movies in the past, present, or future. And any cameo or surprise you think has a potential chance to happen, mute that too. If you think that there's a chance Sam Wilson, Captain America shows up in this movie, mute it. Be safe. You know, just in case you never know. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Scarlet Witch, America Chavez. Go through, go through, here's a good one for you. Just go through the direct.com search tags and any of the big tags that come up related to Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, any of the Venom movies, find the tags on the direct.com and mute them because you won't regret it. Loki, TVA, Mobius, um, uh, What If, for sure, The Watcher, Vision, Ultron, anything that we've seen over the past year that's multiverse related. Here's a big one. Hawkeye, Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, because we know that these are kind of going on at a similar time. I won't say what it was because we're avoiding TV spots, but I saw a recent TV spot for No Way Home that, you know, just saw saw something. So didn't want to see said thing. What's That's happening? it. That's all I'll tell you. But <laughs> what are we doing right now? <laughs> I just mute stuff. I'm telling you, just mute stuff because you'll see stuff that you don't want to that is in officially released marketing material. New York City, Rogers the Musical, uh, Wilson Fisk, Daredevil, Matt Murdock uh punisher fuck it um uh <laughs> um i'm trying to think there's so many that you could do here really uh, uh gwen stacy spider verse miles morales uh, a, uh oh oh aaron davis prowler uh uh childish gambino um what's his donald glover yeah uh, anything guys like like this isn't us guessing what's in the movie it's literally could be anything so mute anything spider verse spider-man 2 Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse into the Spider-Verse. Miles Morales, I think you already said. Who's the actor that plays him, voices him? Shameek Moore. Shameek Moore. That's S-H-A-M-E-I-K, Shameek. And one more thing I'll recommend you do beyond just muting buzzwords. When you go into the theater, there are going to be people leaving the theater that have already seen this movie. This happened to me in Avengers Endgame. Luckily, I just completely blacked out when this moment happened and I forgot that it did. But a little girl was leaving the theater showing Endgame before me and she muttered the words, uh, how did Iron Man die? And for whatever reason, that went in one ear, out the other. I watched the movie. I still did not expect that moment. And after it ended, I go, wait a minute. I think that was spoiled for me. So when you walk into this theater, if you're walking in with friends, talk to your friends loudly, or do what I did after that Avengers Endgame nearly traumatic experience, put in some AirPods, put in some music and blast it until you get into your seat. Because there are going to be people, like I said, walking past you, leaving their screenings that have seen this. And as much as I try to contain stuff, after I've seen a movie, it's, it's hard not to just bottle everything until the car. And so as much as I'll try not to talk with proper nouns, Sometimes they slip. So if you're walking into the theater, get to the theater as soon as possible and go one step further, put in some AirPods, blast some, uh, some uh, Danny Elfman Spider-Man score. There's another one, mute Danny Elfman. 
Mute Sam mm-hmm. Raimi, Mark yep. Webb. Yep. All of it. Amazing, spectacular. Chasm. All the adjectives to describe Spidey. Mute them. Yeah, that's and you know, we've said a lot here. Keep thinking of them. You know, that's what you're gonna do to pass the time before Spider-Man. Think of words to mute on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And hit us up. We want to see your screenshots of your yeah. of your muted lists. I think that'd be very fun. At Liam T. Crowley and Matt at Matt Remke, R-O-E-M-B is in boy K-E. But beyond Spider-Man talk, because I'm sure we're going to have a lot more of it this week, we do have a ton of top news to get through in the wild world of Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. You know it, you love it, the sizzle reel. Kicking things off with some Marvel news, WandaVision, yes, WandaVision, has picked up two big Golden Globe nominations. Lizzie Olsen and Paul Bettany have both received Best Actress and Best Actor in a limited series nomination. The Globes air on January 9th. We have our first official look at Thor, Love and Thunder. A leaked poster gives fans their best look yet at Natalie Portman's reimagined Jane Foster, as well as a newly shredded Chris Hemsworth. In some controversial news from the world of Wakanda, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is reportedly having its ending rewritten. Insider Casey Walsh reports that actress Letitia Wright has not been fired by Marvel Studios, but her onset actions have caused the film to end differently. More on this soon. Switching over to the blue brand, Warner Brothers is reportedly testing two different cuts of Robert Pattinson's The Batman, one that includes a certain actor and one that doesn't. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Indeed, and in news from a galaxy far, far away, Hunger Games actress Amandla Stenberg is in talks to star in The Acolyte, a mysterious dark side series set for Disney Plus sometime soon in a galaxy near you. And for more information on everything you need to know about the universes you love, be sure to check out thedirect.com. I'm in the back, I didn't hear you. One guy in the back, I see you. That is the direct.com. Matt, you know, we both had our pre-production call earlier this week. We said, ah, you know, maybe news will be light. Have a nice chill episode ahead of No Way Home. Not the case, not the case. Some big, big news going on in the worlds of Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. We're gonna start with Marvel this week. The Letitia Wright controversy. This has been an ongoing saga that dates back many, many, many months. Um, Black Panther 2 is a movie that's been shrouded in controversy for so long, obviously beginning with the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman that had to make the film be rewritten entirely uh, to uh, accommodate retiring his character. Um, Letitia Wright's situation has been ongoing. She is not vaccinated and uh, refuses to do so. Apparently there's rumblings on set that she's spreading like anti-vaccination propaganda. She has since denied that. It's kind of a he said, she said thing right now. We don't want to speculate on that, but we can talk about the facts. And the fact of the matter is she is not vaccinated and people are not comfortable showing up to work, which has caused the film to be delayed on top of the fact that she was also injured in Boston when the film was filming at MIT this past August during, I believe it was a motorcycle car chase situation that she hurt herself and she was uh, released from the hospital the next day thinking it was nothing big. Turns out a couple months later, it got more serious, causing the film to go on hiatus. It has been on hiatus from production since Thanksgiving, and it is on track to resume in January of 2022, which is good news. 
However, an updated report kind of hints that those two months that they've taken off are not just for a right to heal from her injuries, but also so that the ending can be rewritten. Matt, first off, do you buy this story that Black Panther 2 is getting changed for what looks to be a second or third time? And two, if it is the case, what do you think is being changed? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I get kind of annoyed with reports like this. I think back to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It was released before the show came out that the ending had to be rewritten because there was a vaccine plot or a pandemic plot. And obviously, you know, in the times, so it was insensitive to go with that. And uh, I, I just remember when the finale came out, a lot of the, like a lot of the initial reaction was, man, I wonder what it would have looked like had they not had to re rewrite it. You know what I'm saying? Like we weren't responding to what happened on screen. We were more responding to, well, here's why what happened wasn't exactly what we wanted kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I, I just hope that this report, this saga, as you said, because it has been a saga with Letitia Wright and, uh, you know, what what's happening with her on and off set. Um, I just hope that that doesn't. Well, you know, we saw Black Panther Wakanda forever. It could have been a better movie had it not been for Letitia Wright. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to get what we're going to get and it's far enough out. But um, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's obviously she's not vaccinated. So that's going to bring controversy across the board i don't know what mandates and rules and regulations are for people who aren't vaccinated um i don't know if it's a situation like um you know sports analogies i don't know if it's like with the brooklyn nets where uh Kyrie irving can't play in barclays center because you have to be vaccinated to enter barclays center or if it's a situation like with the indianapolis colts carson Wentz not vaccinated he just has to wear a mask you know you know what i mean so um i'm wondering i i don't know what the rules are i don't know um obviously she has been fired so, you know, there's something, you know, it's not like a hard out for Letitia Wright, but if I had to guess what they're being rewritten, it's Letitia Wright's uh, status moving forward, what that might be, because, um, you know, it's, it's tumultuous at this moment. And um, hopefully it's going to, hopefully it's going to uh, get resolved in a way that keeps Shuri in the MCU and, uh, you know, just uh, lends best to the story of Black Panther Wakanda forever. I mean, you know, we, we were hearing about the Batman releasing two separate versions of their movie right now and testing it with different audiences. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't, I don't think, I don't read this as, well, the teacher rights, you know, going to be written out of the MCU. I just think that it's going to be a situation where, you know, they're going to hedge a little bit depending on what's going on. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, as you mentioned, is her future will be a lot less certain. I don't think that they would retire her character or kill her character off, but I do think the original rescripted cut of this that was, you know, restructured uh, to retire T'Challa, I do think it would have ended with Shuri in the Black Panther role. Now, I think that they might leave it more up for interpretation or maybe leave the mantle empty for now. I think we could see M'Baku step in. Obviously, we all want to see Killmonger show up in some capacity, whether that's in a flashback or possibly uh, brought back to life. I, I have my whole theory with Atlantis and everything, and it's in an earlier episode. But Lupita regardless, I, I sorry, Lupita Nyong'o, Lupita Nyong'o, exactly. Maybe get a Dora Milaje member in the the title of Black Panther. I think that'd be really cool. Either way, um, it's just very unfortunate that a movie that is being made such in such honor of one of the most important actors um, of our generation has to be marred in more controversy. Um, I'm hoping that this gets all resolved as soon as possible. And when they do resume in January of 2022, 
I hope we hear nothing but good things because we both want this movie to succeed. And as much as I agree the whole idea of like, we should just judge what we get on screen. Like, that's just not what we do though. Like the rise of Skywalker. I often look at the script for duel of the fates, what Colin Trevorrow's episode nine would have been. And it frustrates me knowing what we got instead. And I, I would love to judge this movie on surface level, but even before this Letitia Wright controversy came up, I was going to be looking at this movie. Well, what would have happened if, if Bozeman was still around and we could have seen a true T'Challa sequel rather than a Black Panther as a mantle sequel. So regardless, I think that this is a movie that we're going to be keeping our eyes on from now until forever. We talk about Spider-Man No Way Home that kind of built this podcast from episode one leading up to our like, grand finale of covering it this week i think we might be looking at black panther wakanda forever as our next movie that just has news pile up week in and week out beyond the controversies because there's a lot to love of rumors going on namor speculation atlantis rumblings Ironheart confirmed to be in this movie setting up the next generation of the of the iron man character there's a lot to love there's a lot to talk about and I'm glad we can at least look at this story with a semi-positive note. Sure. You know, Letitia Wright controversy aside, Shuri and uh, Riri Williams together in a room is going to be dope. Um, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, we think about like big behind the scenes controversies that uh, have derailed movies in the past. The most famous one I can think of, obviously, is Tobey Maguire and the Spider-Man franchise. You know, he didn't want to come back. Um, have you heard this, like the numbers behind this? Not the numbers, but I know Hall was being brought in as a potential replacement. So Tobey Maguire either wanted 70... Or do not, like, fact check me on this. It's some absurd amount of money. I'm just going to put a number on it. He wanted, like, $75 million for Spider-Man 2 or, like, 25% of the profits, whichever one was more at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like, like either 75 or if the profits 25% go over that. And obviously Sony wasn't having that, um, you know, that's a lot of money for a character. And it was a, such a big back and forth. He apparently faked a back injury. They brought Jake Gyllenhaal to do screen tests, all these different things and all that stuff. Obviously the movie was made and it went on to be one of the most iconic comic book movies of all time. But, but like we hear about these off screen issues from the past and like, look at the movies and be like, Oh, how could this affect it? It's interesting being, you know, witnessing one unfold in front of us. Yeah, and I, mean, I just, and, and I do want to say this is comparing getting vaccinated and wanting more money is not what I'm trying to do here. Obviously, these are two very different, much more serious and not serious things. It's just interesting, you know, seeing a behind the scenes controversy leak into potentially a movie for the first time in this podcast's, um, you know, existence. Yeah, and we hate to see the real world affect the fictional world because it, it, it's something that you know we use this fictional world to escape. And when you see on screen stuff happening, that is a direct consequence of our real world. I'm not going to lie. Like I love the Falcon Winter Soldier, like absolutely adore that show, but it does impact my viewing at certain lines of dialogue where you can kind of tell stuff was kind of altered around. And I obviously watch stuff with a more critical lens and I, I go in with a lot of base knowledge. So um, to general audiences, I'm hoping that for most people who go see Black Panther Wakanda forever, they're able to enjoy this movie as it is portrayed on screen and oh huh so apparently it was a different there was a different ending originally would have never been able to tell that's what we can only exactly. hope for uh let's move on to the blue brand real quick we're talking about you know different endings to movies stuff getting rewritten 
over in the worlds of DC, they're doing the exact same, but in a very different way. You know, rather than Marvel's situation where they're kind of being forced into reworking stuff, DC Warner Brothers apparently has two different cuts of the Batman and they are testing them with audiences. And all that has been said so far is that one cut includes a certain actor and another cut doesn't. That is all we know. And apparently Warner Brothers is making their final decision this week as to which cut will make its way into theaters in March of next year. We obviously probably will not know which cut it is until we see said movie. If a certain actor is absent, we'll be able to say, oh, they went with that cut versus the other one. Matt, uh, we talked about the rumors of Barry Cogan before. Do you think that this has any connection to what we're seeing right now with the Batman cuts? On the surface, it seems like that's the case. You know, uh, you know, do we use Barry Cogan in a potential Joker role, uh, more or less? You know what I'm saying? It's uh, Shailene Woodley being cut out of Tasm Two. Uh, uh, Shailene Woodley was cut out of Tasm Two because that would have been too much going on. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but uh, no, I think that uh, I think that that would be my easy guess. Um, I don't know how often this happens in Hollywood. If I'm being honest, I don't know how often multiple cuts are shown to test audiences this early um, to make decisions on, you know, do we go with this path? Do we go with this path? Um, This could be a more common stance thing that I'm aware of, but this is the first I'm hearing of it, at least to this scale Um, enough for it to be news. Um, It'll be interesting. It's, you know, we obviously revisionist history, look at every DC project that, you know, is trying to do something. And we immediately want to be like, no, 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 slow down, take your time, build it be patient all of those things it, it <laughs> what if what if joker just ends up being half this movie you know like well you no know, people wanted joker <laughs> so we got to give it to him and it just you know the movie suffers because of it you know you you lose your spider you lose your batman noir movie because well we had to get joker in there it's a batman movie what's a batman movie without joker there's like seven of them um but uh um I'll, I'll be interested to see how this shakes out barry cogan's obviously having a great year um I think that he's going to bring an awesome uh, vibe into this movie. Um, I say that not knowing at all what he's going to look or sound like. You know, he obviously uh, keeps his Scottish accent in Eternals. He's probably going to get more American here in the Batman, it being set in Gotham City. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I'm excited to see uh, what more shakes out of this. I think I think another trailer is really going to do a lot for us, or, you know, TV spot, whatever it might be. I would, I would have to assume we get another trailer, just because we are still so far out, and right. they did something very, very rare with releasing their first trailer, what, 18 months before? We got that in August of yeah. 2020 ahead of a March 2022 release date. Wild. So I do think we'll get another trailer. Um, I do believe that this is Barry Cogan's mysterious role. There's a reason why the the specific insider that reported on this news left the actor's name out of it. And I think it's because if he said, oh, one cut has Barry Cogan, one cut doesn't. I think a lot more people would be running with Barry Cogan is definitely Joker. And I like what you're saying, though, about, you know, why test this with audiences? I do think it is pretty rare that something so seismic is being tested this uh, with with the public like this. But I really appreciate what they're doing because we've speculated many, many times between uh, the Gotham Police Department spinoff series for HBO Max. Uh, Last week, we got the Penguin spinoff series announcement with Colin Farrell for HBO Max. It genuinely feels like they are building a cinematic universe around this one movie, The Batman. And what I like what they're doing is, you know, let's see 
how audiences respond to us setting up the Joker in this first movie. Because I do think if Joker is in this movie, it's a one scene, one and done, you know, I'll look into it type thing and credit scene from Batman Begins. If audiences feel like that's too much, cut it, save it, because you have many years and talented people attached to these projects to make the mistake you made with the DCEU. It's setting too much up too fast. We all remember the infamous email scene from Batman v Superman where Wonder Woman sits down and literally just clicks on files, which might as well have been labeled Aquaman TV spot, Flash teaser trailer, Cyborg teaser snippet video. Like, like that just felt so clunky and out of place. If Joker has a place in this movie and it feels natural to set him up, get a sinister laugh, maybe just have him in a cell in Arkham, go for it. But if it feels very shoot in and audiences respond to that and say it's shoot in, cut it out, save it for the sequel. This movie is a Batman movie. It's going to make a ton of box office. Treat it like a piece of art rather than a piece of promotional material. And, you know, to go one farther with that Wonder Woman comment you just made, it's not just that she was drifting through the emails like that. She had just been introduced like 15 minutes ago. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like she was introduced just to show us these other characters. So don't fall into that trap either where, you know, and, you know, planting a seed to plant a seed's sake. You know, like, I don't know what the comic history is, you know, a ton, but I don't know if there's any precedent of what if the Joker is somebody that Bruce Wayne knows, you know what I'm saying? Like, like somebody who's close to him and then turned, you know, and that creates more of a uh, Winter Soldier type friction between the two. Um, but I do also like it a lot better in not only uh, The Dark Knight, but also in uh, uh, Joker with Juan Cain Phoenix. It's just this totally unassuming person. You know, there's no reason you would have heard of him. He just snapped one day. Um, so um, it's going to be super interesting to see. There's also a huge possibility Barry Coke is not playing Joker and he's playing some different Batman villain that's going to get some play here. Like, yeah. Like what if he's what if he's a Court of Owls type figure here? That's a big one. Or also the initial speculation when he was just, he was just going to be a cop within the ranks of Gotham PD. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, who knows? And it's like, or it could be, it could be Kogan might not be the actor that we're talking about. They might've mystery cast. I remember way back when a rumor that never really caught a lot of traction was McConaughey as Two-Face as, as what's Two-Face's real name. Why I'm uh, Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent. Why brain fart. Brutal. I believe in Harvey Dent. Yeah. There, there was a rumor a long, long time ago that McConaughey was in talks to play Harvey Dent in this movie, and obviously that never materialized, and we haven't heard anything about that character since then, but maybe it's a situation like that. Maybe it's something that this is being shrouded in secrecy, not because said insider knows putting Barry Cogan in this uh, report would go crazy. More, Maybe it's more about it's a genuine secret as of right now, and they don't want to spoil it. So either way, we have a lot to look forward to. Um, come the new year, you know, even though Spider-Man No Way Home seems like after this, like it's like the it's the days after Christmas. What do you do? What what do we ha- else have to look forward to? We have the Batman to look forward to, and it's going to be a blast. But something we also have to look forward to, even beyond Spider-Man No Way Home, is Hawkeye. We got episode five this week, the finale next week, and we know how much these penultimates mean to the series as a whole. Matt, I can't wait. Let's talk all about Hawkeye. Episode five. Ladies and gentlemen, Hawkeye episode five. Liam, we have arrived the penultimate one more to go. And what an episode 
it was let's dive right into it episode five of hawkeye ronin is the title um first what do you think of the title so far this season and then also what are your overall thoughts on episode five the titles have been strong um i i try to compare them to like other shows because that's just naturally what we do wandavision i feel like is always going to be really hard to talk with how they just integrated like winks and nods to general tv about you know uh the series finale being the finale's title is just so perfect hawkeye again like i said the motto of this show that we'll, we'll toss on a quote graphic eventually they're not trying to reinvent the wheel everything they're going for they're just executing really well and the titles kind of reflect that calling this episode ronin from the jump i was like all right i know what we're gonna get and let's see how this rocks and it worked the episode as a whole i thought was very strong um a lot of people on twitter seem to be saying it's like up there with uh the best episodes of mcu television i'm not sure if it's there for me yet that's not to say i didn't enjoy it though i had an absolute blast i just it might be a little below episode three for me but man does this penultimate really really set up a super strong finale and i love the spotlight put on Yelena. I put it in my initial tweet reaction that whenever you introduce a new character to a show, especially someone who's so it's weird to say so established in the MCU, but like we're familiar with Yelena enough by now. And technically she wasn't a prequel movie. So she feels lived in at this point um, in the confines of the Marvel cinematic universe. And to have her come in, not necessarily out of nowhere, but it could have created a, a big kind of tension with screen time but rather than uh take away from the overall narrative i thought it really added to it i thought she seamlessly kind of fit into the bigger picture story that they're going for here and that's just at the end of the day good storytelling it's hard to it's hard to do that naturally and i thought uh burton birdie who directed this episode uh really fit in a major major piece that should have overcrowded this thing and made it feel natural I am 100% with you. This episode was awesome. Unexpected with how it went down. You know, we were all expecting some big climactic, you know, more of an event feeling episode here leading into a finale with a little more resolution. But this one, it was just a lot of people talking to each other and the writing, the dialogue, the charisma between everybody involved. You know, no two people, you know, had bad, you know, chemistry together. And, you know, I just loved every conversation that went down. And it was great. I think it was executed so well. Like you said, uh, Yelena just being in this episode as much as she was, was a shocking thing for me. But I think it just speaks to, you know, how great phase four has um, taken the opportunity of being the rebuilding phase. You know what I'm saying? Like we have three phases building this incredible universe on this saga. The reason we love phase three so much is because it's just nothing but payoff over and over and over. And phase four is kind of resetting that expectation of payoff, introducing characters just months ago. And we get the payoff right here at the end of the year. And it just hits so hard. And they have really perfected, you know, they talk about the MCU formula. I think the MCU formula at this point is just set up and payoff being so well done over and over and over again. And uh, just embedding these characters. And, you know, Yelena has been a part of the MCU for less than a year. And she is already just such a huge moment 
in phase four as a new character. Um, I liken it to Guardians of the Galaxy, who are just instant hits uh, across the board, not so much for even the movies, but just, you know, we love those characters. And Yelena has that vibe. And um, everything around it in this episode is great. I love how the tension's really coming together here at the end. And then, bang, they hit you in the face, and we're ready for what I'm expecting to be a much longer finale. Um, to wrap everything up because uh, everything's really coming to a head at the same time. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. It's spoilers. It's early in the morning. Liam's out in Los Angeles on his phone. I'm here uh, juggling this in a full-time job. We are grinding through (laughs) this Wednesday release here of the Direct Podcast. Once again, really quick, Spider-Man No Way Home review on Friday. Liam, it's time. Morning spoilers, Pacific spoilers, right. mountain time spoilers, East Coast spoilers, yeah. across, spoilers. across the country, across, across the, world. the world. Yeah. Across <laughs> the world. Uh, shout out to everybody across the world listening to Hawkeye episode five review. Liam, this show has done a really good job sticking to one or two plot lines and just interweaving them not one or two multiple plot lines interweaved all throughout one narrative it's been weirdly linear for how much going on in my opinion so once again i think we just go through it by scene there were just again like four or five big chunk scenes in this episode um that really just define the whole thing and um, i think we start with the opening scene yep i'll tell you man they could do this blip bit <laughs> in more time and it's gonna it's gonna get me out of my seat every single time yelena shows up she goes after a widow and then the blip happens what were your thoughts feelings and physical reactions to this scene it was almost expected but the execution came out of absolutely nowhere because as soon as you see the 2018 title card you're starting to piece together okay what happens in 2018 you know, we're probably going to get some some blip stuff. The same thing when 2012 hit, even though I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be the full-on Chitauri invasion, I was at least in indicating that, okay, we might get Battle of New York stuff. But what this cold open did really well was it showcased the blip in a way we've never seen before because it showed the passage of time from the, from the blip victim's perspective of, you know, oh, I, I go back to the Scott Lang quote. For me, it was five hours. For the blip victims, it was like five seconds. Like they, yeah. they rematerialized immediately. And also it, it just further emphasizes like when everyone comes back in Endgame, it's like, well, this is why Peter was not like that d- disarrayed. Like, because Dr. Strange comes to me, he says it's been five years and I, I don't really know, but we got to go and we got to help him and Thanos yeah. and everything. And so it, it recontextualizes a lot of great stuff and, and makes it better retrospectively which i thought was really neat but i also love that it continues what yelena would have been doing post black widow which is freeing black widows uh from you know the the whatever it was called the mind control the red room uh uh, situation um and i i love that she was kind of on her own side mission this whole time and it also helps um characterize her as to why she is so newly shocked by the loss of of natasha because for her it it had been five hours you know it it had just immediately happened and to have her in a state of disarray where her emotions are going to be manipulated by the jlds by the eleanor bishops of the world it makes sense because it's all coming at her so quickly um so yeah I, i really dug 
what this cold open did. I love seeing Yelena back in the, the white attire from Black Widow, like little visual cue callbacks like that are so neat. And man, like, I, I don't know where this ranks in my MCU cold opens, but that's one layer of television I was so looking forward to when I heard the MCU was expanding into streaming was, man, they're going to have some fun with some cold opens, aren't they? And they've been knocking them out of the park since January. Couldn't agree more. Um, on the Yelena stuff really quickly, I agree that uh, it does a lot of good characterization. Also kind of puts the um, Black Widow post-credit scene when she is talking to JLD, that kind of puts that in perspective too because the last thing she does before getting blipped is she comes across a widow, tries to save her. That widow has not been, you know, that widow's been broken free somehow, you know, whatever. But she's been doing what a trained killer would do after given a second chance at life is she just goes back to killing. You know, she's a contract killer. And I think about Shang-Chi when that Black Widow was there in Xiling's fight club, and that's that's all she could do her whole life. That's all she's ever been able to do. So it's interesting that it's possible that a lot of these black widows that Yelena is freeing, they're just becoming warriors and weapons again somewhere, maybe with the 10 rings in Xiling. Um, and I just think that that's a really interesting thing that puts that JLD post credit scene in perspective. Like, yeah, Yelena just lost five years of her life out of nowhere. The first person she sees is a converted black widow into a contract killer. And you know, yeah, that's where she heads. Yeah, and I also love that it just continues like the MCU theme of what happens after a traumatic moment. You know, you go yes. upstairs, you go to sleep. I come down here, I tinker, I do what I know. It's all these characters. Uh, Tony Stark after Battle of New York, Cap after Battle of New York. He goes back into he goes back into Shield. He goes back into doing what he knows, which is the fight. Uh, same even with Bucky uh, for a little bit in Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, it's like it's all they know. So it's like to have them return to this life, even though the life does cause them like pain and suffering. It, it's a through line narrative. That's been consistent with a lot of different MCU characters. Absolutely. And uh, about the blip thing real quick. I love, you know what it puts a lot of context into the portal scene. It really does. Like, like they, you're right. They never showed it like that. What we've seen out of the blip is people being dusted away. Uh, Tiana Paris, Monica Rambo being dusted back. And then also in the Spider-Man movies, the quick dust backs, you know, that's the, you know, that's the outside shot of it, right? Um, but it's just, it's so wild, like, seeing the paint change and everything. And, like, it was just, it shocked me. Like, I, I didn't put together the 2018 thing. Looking back, I should have, but I didn't. So I was shocked initially. And when she blipped away, I was like, <gasps> they did it again. And then she came right back, and I double gasped. Like, they, they're able to evoke mm -hmm. that kind of emotion out of nowhere. And I think it's great. You look back at Phase 2, almost every single movie has some character that is still struggling with the effects of the Battle of New York. Same thing happening in Phase 4. Somebody is struggling with the blip in almost every project so far. And I love how they showed you, Lena, here. Um, that moves over to Kate and Eleanor talking about, uh, you know, wanting to be a superhero and telling her about Jack, all that stuff. The mother-daughter relationship, I think they're doing such a good job hammering it over our heads. You know, like, Eleanor Bishop, uh, played by Vera Farmiga, is a great... Um, character here she's very lovable you know despite her suspicions and i think that there's a lot um of great work done here just getting our expectations up that like kate's gonna be crushed when she finds out what she finds out and i think this this scene really does a great job putting that on her yeah and the dynamic too between kate and her mom in this scene reminded me so much of spider-man homecoming when peter comes back i lost a stark internship like she's 
distraught. She's beat up. Her mom's so confused. She wants to know what's going on. And, you know, in that moment, she's just so helpless. Like, like she, she can't even like think on her feet of like, how am I going to like fabricate a lie out of this one? She's just like, you know, I'm defeated. I'm not feeling great. Like Clint, my hero just kind of kicked me out and uh, he's not exactly doing it uh, because he's being mean. He's doing it out of a place of love because he just can't lose any more people. So uh, I really, I really dug uh, how they did how they showed all that without telling um, in just facial expressions and all that. And yeah, like you mentioned this scene, looking back on it with how this episode ends, it, it changes so much because it makes Eleanor come off, you know, at the start, she comes off as caring. Now she looks sinister. And I, I just, man, once all the pieces fall into play, this is going to be one of those shows that, you know, after watching it the first time, you'll never be able to watch it the same again, because you're going to see how characters change when in reality they've been like that the whole time and you just haven't had that perspective in order to notice it ahead of time and eleanor is one of those characters where i'm just like i feel like you've been up to no good this whole time and we've been trying to pick up on it and now that we can actually piece stuff together she comes off as just a a bad dude yeah i couldn't agree more i want to put a pin in this until we get to later on in this review because i think that obviously everything really ties together there at the end um then we move on to This is the salad scene from Loki. This is the Madripoor bar scene from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I can't think of the WandaVision one that this would refer to, but the macaroni scene. The macaroni scene here in Hawkeye is awesome. It is just two charismatic powerhouses talking, and it's fantastic. Liam, Kate, and Yelena, Hawkeye and Black Widow in the MCU. What do we well, think of the macaroni scene? Well, well, when you just reference them as as their aliases, because you're not wrong, you're 100 percent right. It is wild to now look at that and be like, "That's the new generation right there." That's really cool. Um, I man, Florence Pugh just oozes charisma. It's unbelievable. She's clearly like not that she was uncomfortable in the role in Black Widow, but you could tell that like she was she was a rock star and she stood out but she was a two to uh scarlett johansson's one in that movie right. now she's done a feature film she's back and that's another thing too that we got to realize hawkeye didn't really experience any delays in terms of what when it was going to be released black widow was supposed to come out in like may so florence Pugh first played this role like two three years ago so it's not like she filmed two things like within six months like these were spread out enough that she was returning to this character of Yelena Belova. And you could tell that she was excited to be here and excited to play it, play it with a little more moxie, a little more swagger. Like she's unlocked. She's free. Like she was funny in uh, 2016's Black Widow, but in a very different way. She wasn't trying to be funny here. Yes. Not that she was trying to be funny, but she was she was being lighthearted. Oh, Kate Bishop. And she kept calling her Kate Bishop. I thought that was genius. Um, the, the outfit as well was unbelievable. The slight, oh. the very slight hair change. I don't know what it is because it's not full on bangs, but they're kind of like, you know, like curtains, uh, curtain bangs where it's like they're just on the sides. <laughs> like, I I don't know. I think I think I know my hair kind of. Middle um, part? <laughs> is that it? Middle part. Middle part yeah. bangs. Yeah. Whatever. Either way, though, they're hot, you know, it worked for her. 
Yeah, Yelena, Yelena was uh, was killing it. And yeah, this entire dynamic between her and Kate, we kept being teased for weeks uh, once uh, Florence Pugh was confirmed to be in the series that all these two were like best friends off set and they couldn't stop laughing on, on scenes together. And you could really, really see the chemistry between them uh, showcased here. It was palpable. I couldn't agree more. The chemistry aside, just what these characters represent in this conversation kate the trying to be as cool as she could possibly be superhero in training and yelena being her version of black widow scarlett johansson you know people forget early in phase one and two the big black widow power was persuasion and being able to talk to anybody and get information from loki and you know just using her charm and charisma to do all that scarlett johansson because she was dealing with so many like power-hungry, chauvinistic men. She used a sexual appeal to get that done before kicking someone's ass. Yelena here, she's just being a cool big sister and just being a dope person, really. And mm. you know, the, the hot sauce bit, oh my God. I, I'm not <laughs> kidding. I'm not kidding. As soon as she said, are you done? I was like, please put the hot sauce on the back, Rody. Please put the hot <laughs> sauce on them. And she did. And she just kind of did this little dance and it was so good. And it was, it was almost like, I don't want to call it like the vulture scene, but like, the scene went on for so long and for so much of it, Yelena was just being cool with her back and forth and back and forth. And I was thinking like, where's this going? Like, like what's Yelena's angle here? And then Kate calls it out. Are you just saying my full name to show that you know it? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I am scared yet. Like, like <laughs> she just dives into her spy shit and it's amazing. And, and I just thought it was so well done. So comic booky in the most natural way. When she falls out that window, I'm like, this is where we're at now. Like, like we're at a point in the MCU where we are literally, this is like a tie-in of a tie-in comic where she, Yelena just shows up, has a conversation with Kate Bishop and then backdrops off a window as a Black Widow would. Um, I loved it and I can't wait to see more of it. It's incredible. And I think that they're genuine friends. I really do, um, <laughs> which is very cool. Um, then we get a Clinton-Laura Barton talk. I, I don't know if we have to talk about this too long, but Laura Barton. This oh go ahead. Well, real quick, I mean, she said it. You know, I've only been in New York for a couple of days, but I got to see the Empire State Building. I got to see the newly, uh, the newly done Statue yeah. of Liberty or the the newly, newly renovated something like newly, that. Yeah, the new like version. That. Yeah, made made me perk up a little bit because I think that there's a very solid chance after I see No Way Home because Matt has already seen it. Time of recording. I think that there's a very solid chance that the finale could be post No Way Home. And we could have a situation where we have episodes literally bookending an MCU project. And I think that is so dope. I'm not I'm not going to hold my breath, though, because I think that would be crazy uh, in terms of execution. But like hearing that little tidbit, it was it was um, Mandalorian into Rise of Skywalker, the, the force sure. heal moment, like just something very, very subtle that plants in your head like this is all in the same universe and in the immediate same universe because that's one of the visual cues that seems to be a very big piece uh, of of the entire uh, No Way Home film. I disagree that the Force Heal thing was subtle in any way. Oh um, no, but <laughs> that was the most they, they were subtle part to of make that movie. Subtle, yeah. Right. Um, no, but um, you know, at the end of the day, assuming nobody's seen No Way Home when this episode comes out, like Marvel probably is, that is a uh, callback or a reference to the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. Like, like that's yeah. how big that trailer was. It got its own shout-out in Hawkeye before the movie even came out. Insane. Um, uh, Laura Barton. 
did this conversation between the two um, where, you know, she seemed a little more hardened and over it's not the right word. She was still very supportive. But did this sway us anyway on the Laura Barton where she's at in the MCU situation? Curious. It it started, you know, she started this series or not this series in recent weeks more so as a, a character of intrigue with like what's going on. And this episode, I thought she kind of took a step back. I thought her storyline kind of did get put on the back burner a little bit. And I'd love to have something get revealed, but I'm I'm not going to hold my breath at this point because of how much the finale has to juggle. Yeah. But yeah, like this, this didn't make me perk up the way past phone call conversations uh, with Clint did. So I'm hoping we we get some sort of resolution there. But if we don't, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. I can already hear friend of the show, amazing writer, and really our our news desk guy at the direct, Pierre. I can already hear him being like, "Well, where was the Mockingbird payoff?" <laughs> you know, like like <laughs> upset at Hawkeye for not giving us that Mockingbird payoff. But um, I agree. It it definitely put some water on the fire that was last week's phone call with the Russian uh, speaking and all that. But um, I think this is um, I almost like a four-letter word at this point right it's almost like the aerospace engineer or ralph boner situation to where you know if if people are let down because of a lack of immediate payoff with this little tidbit keep in mind it's like the seventh or eighth most important thing about the show so um i I think that was a good comp there uh then we get one of our only two action scenes in this entire show we get the opening bit between the black widows which is always dope black widow fighting a new style of fighting in a scene that we can get in MCU stuff is a black widow fighting somebody like, I love this so much. Um, we get the little black widow scene and then we get the Ronan versus Maya scene. Very awesome. Great hand to hand combat here. That metal leg has to be a bitch. If you're fighting it. Um, what do we think of the action scene here? Um, you know, in the context also, of the you know, where Maya's at emotionally seeing Ronan again for the first time. I'm going to put on my, my snobby Academy Awards analysis goggles here, but the sound mixing uh, on, on the Ronin sword, whenever that, yes, like whenever that thing got like pulled out, it was unbelievable. When he first threatens Kazzy with it, um, when he's uh, fighting Maya with it and he's not, you know, stabbing, he's not, he's not fighting to kill. He's not the Ronin that he was during the blip. He's Clint in the Ronin costume with it being a means to an end. And I thought the, the, the way to, to have him in the, in the suit yet fighting more like Hawkeye, I thought was a very genius uh, cue because it, it did exactly what he was going for, much like this series with its plot points and everything. This fight scene did what he was setting out to do, which was set up like, I need to reveal to her that I am this guy and I am not the guy that she yeah. thinks I, I was during the blip anymore. And yeah, I thought it was very, very well done. Uh, a defensive fight, you know, uh, like the same way that we've seen a, a couple times too uh, with other characters. Captain America fights very defensively. The whole idea of him using a shield and not like an attack weapon um, shows that. This was a, a scene that really flipped Ronan's fighting style on its head and made for a very, very unique um, storytelling, which I, I very, very much appreciate uh, in hindsight. 
Yeah, it had a every punch uh, brought an emotion vibe, right? You know, we talk about it with Winter Soldier all the time. We thought Black Widow really brought that in a way that maybe hadn't been done since Civil War. Um, and I think this, you know, brought the same kind of vibe here with this one-on-one. Um, we also got, we also moved the Maya tracksuit mafia story forward. You know, not a, I mean, I think we took a really big jump for as little dialogue that that plot line got in this episode. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't spend too much time on Maya and the Tracksuit Mafia. There was a couple scenes, but I think we took a big jump forward. Ronan revealing that there was an informant that, you know, sent uh, Ronan there to take out the Tracksuit Mafia. It was essentially a hit from whoever their boss is, this uncle figure. Um, and I think that that was really awesome because it comes back to Kazi. And, you know, like, you know, it, it further... The fact that Maya suspects that it's Kazi because Kazi wasn't there in front of the show, Froffy. Um, I think that it's super interesting because looking back, Kazi's been telling Maya, hey, stop making so much noise. Stop shaking so many trees. You don't, you're not going to like what you're going to find, essentially. Trying to shut this down from the jump. Now we know why. You know, he's got skin in the game on the wrong side. He's a double-cross situation. And, uh, you know, now... Looking back at my interview with Froffy, you know, he talked about dual loyalty with this Kazi character. It's it's really mm. just black and white betrayal. And um I think that's <laughs> awesome. I, I think they really efficiently took a huge leap with that storyline. And what's nice is whatever finality we don't get in the finale, we know we have a series coming up to back everything up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I dig, yeah, like you said, in hindsight, that interview becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah. And now, now I understand why he was so hesitant to reveal anything because he's not just a henchman anymore. Right. He's got layers to him. And yeah, this is mob boss crime syndicate 101 in the best way possible of having different loyalties within your ranks this makes me think of the opening scene from the dark knight when the joker is picking uh. off people one by one because he gave them all different assignments and kazi being within the ranks of like hey you're loyal to to the game right but most of all you're loyal to the boss which makes you no longer as ingrained in the mafia as you thought you were and i i love that because now it has maya questioning questioning stuff it has Kazi kind of questioning stuff in terms of how much does Maya know now. Right. It, it puts their bosses in a different light. It puts Maya's loyalty to this uncle figure in a different light because if he did order the hit on her father, how does that restructure everything that she's thought of before? Like I've made the comparison that this feels like the street level children of Thanos. And we're really starting to see that in terms of uncle being more of the Thanos big bad you know, pulling all the strings figure and consequently manipulating the emotions of the people below him, where it's like Gamora was super loyal and and so was Nebula. But then in Endgame, when Endgame comes around, they see the future and Nebula's like, I would never do that to you. And it's like, well, you don't know how the future necessarily plays out like this. We're already seeing the seeds being planted of, of loyalties shifting and, and allegiances changing and that all circles back to the uncle figure, which again, street level Thanos in the best way possible. Yeah, and you know, let's just get right there, right? You know, yeah, yeah I know. I've been, I've been, I don't know why I'm still teasing, right? It. Like, everyone's <laughs> gone to the spoiler part at this point. I think it deserves its own conversation. That's why I didn't, you know, elaborate on the Eleanor stuff because Kate saves the day, looking awesome in her suit again, by the way. Um, uh, Kate saves the day. 
Uh, Hawkeye, you got an escape plan? She called an Uber, used a fake name. That's a genius escape plan for a 22-year-old superhero. Um, and uh, they go back to Grills's place. Love that he's involved. Comic character. Beautiful situation going on here. And then, uh, you know, they're just kind of, you know, joking back and forth. And uh, Yelena, best friends with Kate, text Kate. is like, hey, you know, you told me to look into who hired me which was a great point by Kate, and I love how that hit. I, we didn't talk about that. Um, I really love how that hit. And then Yelena texts Kate and basically says, hey, I know who hired me. It's Eleanor Bishop. Sorry. I thought you deserved to know. Love that. Yelena's a great person. Sends a picture, and there's Eleanor. And Kate's shocked and appalled and mad and angry and frustrated and confused, and she, she shows the picture to Clint, and Clint says, and Kate says, well, who's that with my mom? You know, who is that person? And Clint, you know, that's the guy I've been worried about this whole time. That's Kingpin. And it's Vincent D'Onofrio in a blurry picture with Eleanor Bishop as Kingpin. Holy shit. Could have been JLD. Could have been Thunderbolt Ross. It could have been anybody. I kind of knew it was going to be Kingpin. Still, out loud, said, oh my God. Genuine shock. No idea why. It was awesome. And I want to hear all your thoughts. Yeah, the the pop for me was was unreal because it it almost hit twice because at first we all expected it to be D'Onofrio, but like the picture was blurry enough that I was like, is that D'Onofrio? And then as the credits are playing, you know, Jeremy Renner, Haley Steinfeld, uh, Tony Dalton, Vera Farmiga with vincent d'onofrio i was like oh my god he actually is here it's official uh the ink the ink is dried the nameplate is there it's awesome but yeah i was i i don't know how to perceive this reveal because it was a great shock in the moment but i'm also like why reveal him for the first time with cell phone footage you know or cell phone still image like blurry and everything it must mean that when he eventually does speak which will most definitely be next week it it needed to be set up like this to where we need to show our characters genuine fear of this character so that when they do interact face to face it hits on another level because it just it felt a little weird as an audience member because like i said i i point to other big villain reveals he who remains slash kang and loki him showing up in the flesh for the first time after having rumblings specifically based on plot points there was nothing whatsoever that pointed to jonathan majors being on set of loki jeffrey dean morgan as negan um in one of the seasons of the walking dead they built 15 and a half episodes up to this negan guy they keep name dropping him and the first time we see him he walks out of that rv and we piss in our pants yet like it's terrifying so kingpin having this kind of like establishing that he's here before we see him in the flesh is an interesting tactic, but I gotta believe it's by design. I gotta believe it's deliberate because everything in this show, like we've said so many times, it's not reinventing the wheel. It just executes what it's going for so perfectly. And I don't know what they're going for here, but I gotta imagine that you know they're gonna hit it out of the park. Can I take a guess? Yeah. I think it really leans into your street-level Thanos thing. It's the kaiju. Don't show the monster in full until it's that moment. You know what I mean? I think it just builds the lore of like this mysterious guy 
everyone is scared of him. And I think this is just kind of a quick glimpse of what you're supposed to be scared of. And this brings me back to Eleanor Bishop. It brings me back to Jack being arrested earlier in the show. Um, just very casually arrested. Tony Dalton, the kid, just having a great time. <laughs> you know, like, you know, honey, I would have done the exact same thing. I've obviously <laughs> been framed. I'll see you tonight for your Christmas party. And this kind of like winks and does a little dance and gets skipped out of the building. So funny. Tony Dalton's crushing this. Um, but... I think that they're going to use Jack and Eleanor and Kazi. I think those three characters and, you know, obviously Maya is going to have her own thing going on um, with this Wilson Fisk character. I think that they're going to use those round of characters who are involved with Wilson Fisk. I love that we can say his name and not uncle anymore. Um, (laughs) I think that they're going to use that to just show how powerful and terrifying he is. Imagine if Jack gets killed off for being sloppy you know what if everybody's working for fisk like like jack and eleanor in it together and it's been a plan the whole time and kazi what if jack gets killed off for being sloppy and and kate confronts her mom it's just like how can you be doing this how can you be involved in and uh eleanor gives us some sort of line like you don't understand what's going on right now like 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 i can't not i like i I will die the second I turn against him kind of thing. Like, I think they're going to use these characters that, you know, we perceive as the bad guys to show just how bad Fisk is. And I think that leans into the Kaiju aspect of that blurry cell phone footage. You know, don't show the monster just yet. And um, I think that's really cool. I loved how it went straight into the credits. Uh, The fucking Grinch song with, Mm -hmm. uh, did you see the final shot of the credits? Did you stay for that? Not the very final shot, the very final uh, David Aja art shot at the end of the credits is the city of New York in that kind of artistic, stylistic font. And then there's a, a Fisk kingpin shadow across all of New York. Uh, and it's the very end of the Grinch song. And I uh, thought that was so perfect. You got to go watch it again. I thought, yeah. I thought they are just. Like, obviously, if you've seen Daredevil, this hits a lot harder for you. If you haven't, I think they're doing a great job portraying this as like, this is the bad guy of this mob life that we're all living right now and and get ready for something big. Um, so I, I thought it was perfect. And I, I think that I agree that it was a really interesting way to do it because I have this headcanon of where it's going. I think it's very well done. Um, and I hope that is where they go. So that brings us into looking ahead, Liam. The finale comes up next week. We have uh, Eleanor's plot line has come to a head. You know, we know her end game kind of now. So we're going to get to see that resolution. Very cool. Kate's reaction to that. Clint and his family. This watch. Still don't know what the hell is going on with this watch, but Maya has it. Maya's whole thing. Uh, Yelena's whole thing. A lot going on, but it all seems to be heading toward either Fisk or this this final battle between the Hawkeyes and the tracksuits and um, Yelena and Clint. So where where do you uh, think we're going next week if you have any predictions? A lot of plot well, lines in the air here. Right. And if WandaVision, Falcon, and Loki taught us anything, do not go into this finale expecting every loose end to be tied up. There's There's a reason why they don't give us all the resolution in a single season because even if Hawkeye doesn't get a season two, there are stuff there. There are things in Echo that that can be continued from this series. I think I really don't think we get a lot of resolution with Kingpin. I think we get yeah. introduced to him in a very big way, but I don't think we we see him, 
He's, I don't think he's the series like big bat. I think that still remains Eleanor Bishop, but he's just the man above, you know, like it's the same way that Thanos was not the big bat of, of 2012's Avengers, but he was the overlying presence. Yes. I think that that's how Kingpin feels in this finale. I think we get a decent monologue, uh, a bit of screen time with him, but I equate it to, to Kang in the Loki finale where he's really only there for one elongated scene chopped up into different bits. I, I don't think we see him interacting with a whole bunch of different characters. Um, I really don't think we get any deaths. I know a lot of people keep saying that like they're worried about Clint. I, I would find it hard to believe that they kill off such a big name, let alone an OG Avenger in his own series. Like, I don't know. I feel like this show is building up to a somewhat happy resolution with loose ends that spell disaster. And I mean that in the sense of Clint is able to go back home to his family and Wilson Fisk allows everyone to think that everything's under control and everything's fine. And then that final shot or final scene has him, you know, just being ruthless again, or ha- has him making phone calls or whatnot. Uh, I do think that this this series ends with a false sense of resolution. I think that's that's the best way to put it: a false sense of resolution. Yeah, I think that um, you know every plotline has a different character connected to it. I agree that I think Fisk and Maya and um, everything going on on that side of this show um, is going to be move forward for sure but propelled into echo i think this is going to be shooting into the echo series so i think what resolution we do get here you look at the rest of the characters on the board you got kate you got hawkeye you got yelena i think we're going to get a kate and eleanor resolution of some sort that propels kate to being an avenger i think i don't know how that's going to shake out but i think that's the end game and whatever happens with her and her mom here is going to be that driving factor i think we're going to get a yelena kate um resolution of some kind propels Yelena into her next project and propels Clint into some sort of peace of mind. Um, something that he's desperately been looking for. I don't know how it's going to go down, but I think that's the end point here. And um, I think it's all going to, I, I really believe this is all going to shake out really well. We're going to get probably, probably one very long, big fight scene. And the rest of it's going to be character dynamics clashing together. And every single character in the show has been so charismatic and so fun and so uh, layered. You know, every single character has a lot of layers, like parfaits, Ebella parfaits. Um, so I think that I think that that makes for a really great finale, and I'm really excited about it. Um, before we get into our post credit prediction, I do have a random tidbit that I found when making the thumbnail for this episode. There is not one scene in that macaroni bit. There's not one shot in that macaroni scene where Kate and Yelena's faces are shown at the same time. Every single shot. In that entire scene is one of them talking with, you know, the other one's hair being in the foreground in some sort of way. There is not one single frame with both of them showing their face at the same time. Does that mean anything, film Twitter? Like, is that is that some sort of camera work or like. Like, I found that I found that weird. Is that not weird? I mean, the, the only thing I can think of is that they just they couldn't be on screen together because they were laughing. I can't believe much. that. Like, like they were so good. Like I, I would, <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I know. Like they're, they're grade a professionals. I would find it shocking that they would have to do more than like a couple takes to like get the giggles out of the way. But yeah, no, that is, that is an interesting thing you picked up. And 
Yeah, I, I think it does emphasize, though, it puts you in the conversation, which I think is Absolutely. what they were kind of going for is is having them talk at each other. And from our perspective, they're they're talking to us as the audience. I think it makes you like a fly on the wall when it's like, you know, when when, when you have like two friends or or uh, two family members that are just really clicking in a conversation and you're just sitting there, just eyes going back and forth, just watching yeah. it all go down. I think that's kind of what they were going for here. And yeah, I, I dig that. Nice, uh, nice pickup by you. Yeah, I, it's, I understand. I'm not saying like it's wrong to do that, but like not one like even foundational shot of them at the table. I, th- I, thought, that was, mm-hmm. I thought that was odd. Anyway, that was just something I noticed this morning and I forgot to bring it up. Post-credit predictions. We're going to get to, um, I have to assume one of them is Kate Bishop related. I think that's been the trend so far is that, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the post credits is definitely going to be about a character, a main character in this show. So I think that has to be Kate Bishop here. What do we think of the second post credit scene situation? Really only Ooh. two options, right? Either yeah. or Maya, right? Slash Kingpin. I think sure. Maya, Maya and Kingpin have, have a tie. Um, Can't wait to see it. I think it's something. So <laughs> I think it's something Kingpin related that alludes to events that transpired in No Way Home. I, I don't want to say what. I, I, I have not seen the movie time of recording, but I just I think they're going to name drop something or, or a character or, or whatever. Uh, or see something on the TV in the background, maybe see some daily bugle footage going on in the background or something enough to make us really feel like New York is super, super connected. And even though Spider-Man doesn't really fit in with like, when I say he doesn't fit in with the street level uh, MCU that they're setting up, I don't mean that his powers are, are too big in scale, but I mean it in the sense that this feels like gritty crime boss stuff you know, Daredevil, Echo, Hawkeye, Kingpin. Spider-Man feels a little more like quippy and lighthearted. And it feels like that's like an in over his head type thing. Even though I'm I'm sure bringing back D'Onofrio means that they want him and Peter Parker to interact eventually. Mm-hmm. I I just think, yeah, I think, I think it's a Kingpin post-credit scene ties into Echo while also giving us some sense of this is in the same exact location and time that no way home is taking place i i think the other option here is yelena and the thunderbolts thing this is the third project in a row we somewhat expected a thunderbolts uh post-credit scene uh we got one in falcon and winter soldier we didn't get we got one in black widow this could be this could be the last thunder this could be another thunderbolts move here what did i just spark i well you were just talking about thunderbolts and how like we we've seen so much of that so much in phase four we've also seen a lot of scroll action in phase four and if everyone's alluding to laura barton being mockingbird what if laura barton's a scroll dude dude what if that's why clint wanted to hide her so bad and it's like you know it's a romeo and juliet type situation of like you guys should not be together because of just like issues it could cause theoretically. And maybe that's the spark that sets off secret invasion. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just like, I can feel I give, like, 
there might be there, they might be pointing us in the wrong direction of like, oh no, she's definitely a mockingbird. No, you guys got that. Oh yeah, yeah, she's definitely you got this. Can I can I make you even more excited about your own take? Okay. It's got comic book legs too. Mockingbird Venus scroll has comic book legs. That's awesome. I now hope it's that. And here we are. We're back at WandaVision. Four projects <laughs> in a row. We just get ourselves back to WandaVision every single time. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Hawkeye episode five. We'll be reviewing the finale of our fifth MCU Disney Plus show next week. But before we get out of here, we do have an interview with the lovely and talented Miss Molly Quinn. Molly talks about everything, including her new project that just came out, Agnes. It's her executive producing debut. And she also shares some wonderful stories about her time working with Will Poulter, Adam Warlock himself, back on 2013's Where the Millers. Check it out right now. My interview with Molly Quinn. Oh, Molly. Liam Crowley of The Direct here with one of the fastest rising actresses in Hollywood at the moment. She steals scenes in front of the camera and is now dipping her toes in behind the scenes work as well. You know her from Where the Millers, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and if you're a decom junkie like me, Avalon High, one of the leading stars and executive producers of the upcoming horror film Agnes, it's Molly Quinn. Molly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you, Liam. That was an amazing introduction. Hey, Have that's what I, high, huh? right. I'm a big fan. Me and my friends love all the Disney <laughs> Channel original movies and they're going to go crazy when they find out uh, I was able to chat with one of the actresses. Well, hey, I had a great time on that movie. Uh, I was really excited because the director, uh, he did the third installment of the Ninja Turtles series, Turtles in Time, ah. which was like my favorite movie. And he actually signed my DVD. I brought it all the way to New Zealand and he signed it for me and everything. So great memories. That's really special. Well, I want to talk about Agnes to start. It's obviously coming out in December and it had a big run at film festivals earlier in the summer. I'm just curious off the bat, how did this project come to be? Because you're wearing many hats in this film as an executive producer and as a leading actress. Yeah. So uh, I was producing uh, our first film with my production company, Quagmire, uh, that will be coming out soon. And while I was working on that, we had Divide Conquer as our partners. And I was talking to one of those guys and was saying, you know, we're, we're trying to see like what we want to do next. Like, I really want to star in something. I really want it to be something different. And uh, Adam Hendricks is his name. He, he got this look in his eye and he was like, okay, I, 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 might have, I might have something for you. <laughs> and so he sends me two things. He sends me the script for Agnes and a link to Climate of the Hunter, which was Mickey Reese's uh, movie that he directed uh, the previous year and it played Fantastic Fest. Uh, so I read the script and was really shocked by it. You know, like it didn't follow any type of normal formula. So as a producer, I was really excited about that because we want to do genre, you know, like we really love horror uh, and looking for things in horror that are just slightly different, you know, is, um, is a challenge and it's a challenge that like we're up for, but you don't always get to read material that makes you scratch your head. And that's what Agnes did. Uh, and then as an actor, I just, I, it was almost like a soul bond, even on the page with Mary. Like I, I really connected with her, um, with her, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 
her fear, like she's a chicken, like she's running from her past. She's not dealing with her shit. And, and I connected to that, uh, from my own past. So I, uh, sent this, the script to my partners, Alon and Matthew, and sat down to watch climate of the hunter and was really impressed that Mickey had made that movie for only, oh my gosh, I, I think they made that movie for a hundred thousand dollars or less. And it was really incredible. Like you're, it's not possible. It's not possible to, to make a movie nowadays for that little amount of money. So, you know, color me impressed. So we thought if we could raise just a little bit more and use his incredible, incredible crew, his DP, Samuel Calvin, his uh, set designer, um, Caitlin Shelby, like incredible talent. If we could use them and just pull a couple favors from our LA friends and actors to come in, we might kind of have the perfect collage of talent, so. Well, hey, that's that's all wonderful to hear. And you mentioned something uh, particularly interesting about having something new in the horror genre. From the marketing material alone, if people just read the synopsis about a horror movie involving nuns, it does seem very familiar. So how did you approach, it sounds like from the script alone, you knew that this was something distinct, but when it came to acting it out and, and producing as well, how did you really emphasize those unique aspects? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, it really was a gamble. We weren't exactly sure how to do that. Uh, we wanted to kind of lull the audience into a sense of um, false security with this very um, normal type of horror setup, you know, nuns, convent, possession. It's like the warm blanket of horror. Like, you know, you know what you're going to get. Uh, and then halfway into the movie, we just, wreck the vehicle, right? We just take you in a completely different direction. Uh, and we weren't exactly sure how we were going to market that, but luckily partnering with Magnolia, they knew exactly what to do. And I think our materials really reflect that, you know, uh, you get the comfort, you know, we lure you in with the non exploitation, uh, you know, fun tables moving and things flying around. And then hopefully you're invested enough in the characters that when we make that hard left, you stick around. If anything, just out of confusion, because you want to know what the hell is going on. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's something that is very heavily hinted at in the trailer specifically, and I'm excited to see it actually executed in the film itself. We mentioned at the top, you know, you're wearing multiple hats in this film, you're starring, but also producing. And at least according to your IMDb, this is your first time executive producing, you know, the big part of producing, the one that requires the most amount of work. How did you balance time between being in front of the screen and behind the camera? And was it ever at all overwhelming or did it always feel natural to you? Mm. Wow, that's so interesting because, you know, it was overwhelming the entire time, but it also felt natural. Uh -huh. um, I think when you're producing indie films, uh, you know, it's, it's all hands on deck. You know, you, you are really doing everything. Luckily, you know, I have my two amazing partners. So we were able to, to share the load of, uh, of our producing duties, which really helped when I had to be in front of the camera. Uh, but every day it was, you know, I, I showed up before my call, 
I helped scenes get set up. I talked with Samuel about like what we were going to shoot that day. Uh, and then as actors started to come in, we would discuss the material and basically every day we rewrote scenes. So, because that was my favorite thing about hiring these, uh, incredibly talented people uh, that, that we know, you know, Sean Gunn, Chris Sullivan, uh, we said to them, this is what's on the page, but we want you to make it your own, you know? So we just 10 minutes before would go through and if it felt right, we would keep it. But most of the time we just found ways to keep making it better, you know, which is why I think the movie almost takes on this um, uh, Pilgrim's Progress type of journey because it's just Mary interacting with these very large people and how it's almost like a, a, a game of a ping pong. Like they're just tossing her around back and forth. Like she, she almost has no control. She's really out of control. Um, and I think maybe the, the chaos of that helped me on screen because it was constantly working with everyone and wanting all of the pieces of the movie to be unique, but also fit together. And I think Mary is just going through that, that same thing of interacting with these big people and not really having time to rest. I guess I'm kind of trying to justify my lack of sleep and total exhaustion while making the film. <laughs> I, I love that reflection though, that it kind of perfectly married with your, your character of Mary on screen, having that chaotic mindset. That's really interesting to hear. Um, you do I have just two... thought about that. So there you go. There <laughs> we go. You, hey, thank that, you. that's what we'll roll with. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Um, you do have two more producing credits uh, scheduled for 2022, both Marzipan and then Lovely Dark and Deep. This obviously seems like something you kind of fell in love with. So is producing something you're hoping to make a regular aspect of your career moving forward? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I came to LA with uh, my heart set on acting and, and my heart will always be in acting. But, you know, just like I think with a lot of people, when you're young, you, you're laser focused, you think about one aspect of the thing you want to do. And then if you're lucky enough to start doing it, you meet all these other people that are involved in the process. So I didn't know what a producer was when I started acting. And then I met producers, I met female producers that were, you know, just bad bitches, you know, they were in charge of the entire thing. And, and they really inspired and like nurtured me to do it myself, um, which I really appreciate, you know, especially now. And those women are, are still helping me, you know, Lori Zacks who produced Castle is still who I go to. She's absolutely my mentor when it comes to producing. Uh, and I can't wait to keep doing it. Uh, Lovely Dark and Deep was such a special film to be able to make. Uh, you know, we loved Teresa Sutherland's script and we loved her previous film, The Wind. So giving her uh, the opportunity to uh, direct her first feature, uh, just, it was exhilarating, you know? And there's something, that's really the best word for it. There's something really exhilarating about working with other creatives and, and helping, you know, in the small way we can give other artists the chance to do their art, you know? So I, I, I want to do it forever and I want to keep acting forever. You know, it's, um, they really fit nicely together for me. 
Yeah, there is a good synergy between producing and acting. And I have seen that with, with many actors um, in the game for a long time. But the films that you are producing seem to be more festival darlings. You say you say indie films as well. You did star in quite a bit of blockbusters early on in your career. Um, Where the Millers comes to mind, Guardians 2, um, most recently Doctor Sleep. Are blockbusters something you're expecting to go back to eventually? Or are you just kind of loving the, the indie side right now? I mean, who doesn't want to do a blockbuster, you know, uh, that, that would be amazing. I hope we get to do that. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting about Quagmire that, that we want to do and, and may more confine us to the festival darling indie space is we really want to do things that are quirky. We really want to do things that start a conversation. Like with Agnes, I expect a lot of people not to like it. And I want them to fight about it. I want them to talk about it. I want people to be angry and I want there to be fights and conversations about it. You know, those are the type of movies that I want us to make because anytime I've had the opportunity to watch those kind of films, I just, I love the debate that rises from them. So as a company, we, we want to keep doing that. And and hopefully as we grow, we'll get to bring that to more of the, the blockbuster space. Um, but at the end of the day, as long as we keep doing that, as long as we keep making um, divisive films, then I'll be happy. Yeah, that's all people can ask for at the end of the day is to generate conversation. Um, we are a very uh, comic book heavy movie website, so I do have to ask you a couple Marvel related questions. Absolutely. But Guardians Volume 2, you had a very small role um, as Howard's date. I'm just kind of curious about your experience on set. James Gunn is a director who's known to just kind of bring his friends along to just to have a cameo here and there. Um, how did that role come to be? And are you hoping to maybe do uh, more work with James in the future? Oh my gosh. I mean, of course, who doesn't want to do more work with James? Uh, you know, James is, is one of my best friends. Uh, he's how my fiance and production partner, Alon Gale, and I met. Uh, we were actually just in Atlanta visiting him uh, and his partner, Jen, had a great time in Atlanta. Um, you know, James makes movies that no one else makes. You know, I really admire what he does to every genre that he touches. And I think the incredible thing about uh, getting to be on set for volume two was the scale. It's massive. No one makes movies like that anymore. It's just huge. I mean, we were on a stage. They had built the entire planet like all of those were rooms you could go in and out of all the neon was custom made there were snow machines and real snow on the ground like like so little of it was actually cgi like so much of it was practical um and that was just i mean it's like it's like being a kid it's like truly seeing movie magic um and and the part you know was 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 really just james being a best friend, you know, like Elon, uh, my, my now fiance and, and partner, like I said, we, I was going with him because he was going to be in the movie. And then James saw that I was there with him and said, oh, do you, do you want to be in it too? And I, who, what, what are you going to say? No. I was like, yes, please put me anywhere. Uh, so getting to do that, that little part with uh, Howard the Duck, uh, of course, voiced by Seth Green, who is also a longtime friend, uh, was just a treasure. You know, it's a total delight. And, 
And man, if I get really lucky and get to do more with James or more in the MCU, uh, I mean, yes, please. Like I, I would, I would, I would be so happy to, to do more. What's funny is your story kind of mirrors. I, I chatted with David Yarabeski a couple mm, of weeks mm -hmm. ago, yeah, who's yeah. also a close friend of James. And he yeah. mentioned basically the same thing. He was in the town in town for guardians, uh, volume one. And James is like, Oh, here's a Ravager costume. You could have a role in a cameo. And it's just, it's cool to hear those kind of stories. Um, one of the blockbusters I mentioned early in your career were the Millers. You starred opposite Will Poulter. Speaking of guardians, he's obviously got a big role in volume three. He was just cast as Adam Warlock. You mentioned you're close with James. Did you talk to James at all about casting Will? And just in general, what's your reaction uh, to him getting such a big role in the third film? Uh, extremely happy. I love Will. Uh, I've loved Will since he was in an indie film called The Son of Rambo, which I saw and fell in love with him when I was like 13 years old. So <laughs> when we tested together for We're the Millers, I was, I was so... <laughs> kind of on edge and excited, you know, Twitter painted to like be in the same room with him uh, that I actually didn't do very well. I didn't, I didn't book where the Millers. I was, I was a replacement. I was, I was wow. the second girl. Yeah. So I was real lucky that I got a second chance uh, to come in and be in that movie um, and absolutely love the experience. Uh, James, he, he did ask me like how my experience working with Will was. I think he asked a couple other people as well um, because James is great about just, you know, checking everyone's reference because, you know, like you said with Yarvo, he, um, he wants to work with his friends and if he's working with new people, he wants them to become friends, you know what I mean? Uh, and I, I only have glowing things to say about Will. And normally when, when James uh, asks me about this or that actor, I'll let it go. Like I don't, I don't follow up, you know? Um, but I was so excited that he was asking about Will that a couple of days later, I was like, who got it? Like, who is it? Is it Will? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's Will. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Will. <laughs> so I just, I couldn't be happier. I really couldn't be happier for him. And I hope they have an amazing time filming. Yeah, everyone is super ecstatic about him in the role. People are already having like the fan art and everything. And it's really, really cool to see. Um, as a general question, I know you've already had a role in the MCU technically as Howard State. You know, you're you're in the canon per se. Um, but we just saw this past November, Gemma Chan returned to the MCU after playing, I believe it was Minerva in Captain Marvel. Now she was kind of recast as Cersei in, in Eternals. So she's kind of played two roles. Do you have any, any dream Marvel roles that you'd like to take on one day? Oh my gosh. I mean, yes. I'm trying to think about which ones are my favorite. Um... You know, I, I really, I, I love Spider-Man. I, I love, especially like original Spider-Man was like one of my favorite movies. Um, I always wanted the opportunity to play Mary Jane. I, I, I really did. Uh, so if that ever came around, I think I would be really happy. But to be completely honest, I think any character in the MCU is freaking badass. And... I would just be so happy to play anything. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing not to love. So it kind of makes it hard to pick. Yeah, that's what a lot of people do say, but it's like, it's such a giant franchise that just to be involved in it in any way is a dream. Yeah, it, it's like you're saying, do you want a slice of delicious cake, a delicious cookie, 
a delicious brownie. It's like, I don't know. They all sound fantastic. Please just give me something. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Who can complain at that? Before we wrap things up, I did mention it in the intro. And just personally, I want to ask about Avalon High. You know, 20, I believe 13, very early 2010s, Disney Channel original movie made for television, yet all DCOMs kind of have like a cult classic following to them. And now that they're all streaming again on Disney Plus, I have seen a bit of a, a resurgence to the early DCOM movies gaining popularity once again now with younger audiences. Do you feel that at all with Avalon High? And what does that film just mean to you in your career? Well, it's so funny because, um, you know, uh, when when shows um, that you've been in <clears throat> play in different countries, uh, there's um, like discrepancy in payment. So you get these like tiny checks from all different parts of the world, you know, for 50 cents, 20 cents, things like that. Uh, and I was opening one of those checks and I expected it to be Castle because, you know, I'm so lucky it, it plays all around the world. And the first thing was Avalon High in Switzerland. And I was like, huh. Like, I guess, I guess it's just playing again. So like that, that warmed my heart. Uh, so I am noticing it. I'm noticing this, this resurgence of the movie. Uh, and what did it mean to me at the time? At the time, uh, I, I was really, I was really happy. You know, I had auditioned for the lead three times uh, and, and didn't get it and was really bummed. And then they called me back to uh, audition for the supporting character. And it was just this monologue. It's, it's the monologue that, uh, that she says to the lead when she's explaining why she had been with Lance. Um, and, you know, so I really, I got to act, you know, like I, I got to do um, what I really loved to do and, and was really at that time finding, which was less than being a lead, more so getting to do character work. You know, uh, and so that actually meant a lot to me and I think changed my perception of like how I wanted my career to go and getting to work with with that cast was um, was really lovely. The opportunity to travel to New Zealand like that was a huge selling point for me. I was like, yeah, like I don't care what I do in this movie. Like I just want to go to New Zealand. Uh, so I had a great time there and uh, and um and yeah, because it's funny because it kind of ties back to Agnes in a way, because whereas Agnes is a movie that, that I put myself in, it, it all kind of stems from, from Avalon High and this idea of doing things that people don't necessarily expect me to do. You know, getting to do those, those bigger emotions for a Disney movie of the week, uh, you know, because they didn't do a lot of that. You don't, you don't have a lot of um, like real drama and, and conflict, you know? So getting to do that kind of role um, showed me what I really love. So it was actually incredibly impactful. <laughs> wow, well, that's really, really wonderful to hear. I can't think of a better question to end this on. Uh, Molly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I just kind of want, if you can give us a general tease of your 2022 projects, I know a lot of them are still being kept under wraps in terms of, in terms of like details and whatnot, uh, but what can we expect from you in both December and the new year? Mm. Well, December, you know, December 10th, Agnes drops. So we're super excited about that. I hope everyone watches it and fights about it and argues about it and loves it. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you'll, you'll be seeing a lot of me coming up. There's, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of me around and I'm feeling like super grateful about that. Uh, I can't wait to see the 
uh, first cut of Lovely Dark and Deep and start getting that out to festivals. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited for, for Quagmire uh, and for things I'm doing as an actor. It's gonna, it's gonna be a good year. 2022, we can't wait. Molly Quinn, thank you so much. Thank you, Liam. That was a quick question slash muting Spidey buzzword segment. That was a sizzle reel. That was a Hawkeye review. That was a Molly Quinn interview. And that's an episode, episode 64 of the direct podcast, a perfect square episode. We won't have another one of those until episode 128. So buckle up or no, no, 81. What am I talking about? 81, couple more weeks, couple more months. It's been a while since I've taken a math <laughs> class, but something that I do every single year is I celebrate Christmas, just like all of us or most of our listeners, whatever else you celebrate. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy Festivus for the rest of us. Whatever you celebrate this time of year, it's a great time to just enjoy uh, the holiday spirit. And rather than do a weekly recommendation this week, as we've kind of been doing in the past couple of weeks, Matt, I want to ask you, what are some random miscellaneous Christmas things that you just love doing and to start things off because I know that's a very vague prompt no I got you I absolutely love after you buy something at a store even when it's not Christmas related you go and you fill up your gas tank and you pay inside or you go and you grab a coffee from the local cafe oh yeah here's your receipt thanks so much Merry Christmas I love doing that you know I love just saying Merry Christmas to people happy holidays uh etc it's just it's always such a good feeling yeah, it's it's that vibe that everybody is in a good mood because everybody's saying happy holidays, you know, yeah. like that's that's kind of like uh and you know, this is something my generation built and it's just become circumstance. Have you ever been texting with somebody and they don't put LOL at the end of it and you're like, What's wrong? Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. like if you're if if it's December time and you don't say happy holidays, people will be like, Oh man, what's wrong with that guy? Like, <laughs> like you must be having a bad day. Um Quick question for you. Do you know, do you know what Festivus is? Are you a Seinfelder? Yeah, my mom's a big Seinfeld fan. So that's how I was introduced to that. Okay, that's a new part of our friendship that we haven't unlocked yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite all time miscellaneous Christmas tradition. Um, my mom used to do it. Aaron's doing it now in our lives. And it's my favorite thing. We make Italian food on Christmas Day. It's spaghetti and meat sauce. It's Alfredo. It's garlic bread. It's a great salad. She picks it up from Olive Garden because she's a boss. Um, and um, I always get the spaghetti with meat sauce and the Alfredo and mix it together. And it's my favorite meal every year. I love that. Uh, another one for me, food is, is I, I love the specific random food traditions um but another one for me i'll go back in the entertainment side of things harry potter those harry potter yeah. movies it's just because they were always on abc family all yeah. the time and it would always bleed into 25 days of christmas there's something about the first one especially philosopher's stone when uh, uh ron says like happy christmas harry oh, love it I, it it warms my heart harry potter movies they're great Did you just say philosopher's stone yeah because i'm a book purist you're a book purist. Fantastic. Good for you. Um, <laughs> you know why they changed the it? But you're talking about the movies, though. <laughs> yeah, and it was Philosopher's Stone in the UK, but the yeah, marketing because... department changed it because they thought Philosopher's Stone was too geeky, and they wanted to make it Sorcerer's Stone to appease Western audiences. That makes a lot of sense in 2001. <laughs> you know, that, that's back when geeks were geeks, man. Like, like we had to hide our geekdom. 
back then. Not with Harry Potter, though. I've been to every single Harry Potter midnight premiere. That's a little claim to fame I have. My stepmom used to drag me to them. Um, I'm so jealous. I've, I haven't been to a single one. So there you go. Um, to the fandom. Uh, I am going to say um, Christmas drinks, uh, rather it be hot cocoa, uh, eggnog, eggnog with bourbon, a very uh, big fan favorite in these parts. Um, Aaron loves a uh, white Russian around these times. Um, yeah, Christmas drinks, something that we really love. Aaron, uh, going to talk about Aaron a lot. Um, she just bought a whole Christmas bar set um, for, so when we decorate the house for Christmas, we bring out the Christmas bar set as well. It's mm-hmm. very fun. I love that. Uh, my final one, I'll go just going into your local city around the holiday time. I love being in Boston come Christmas time. The lights are always fantastic. Um, just dressing nice and like, you yep. know, sipping coffee um, or hot cocoa and just enjoying. Usually a lot of local street musicians are playing holiday tunes. There's nothing better than it. It just it feels like you're in a movie and uh, yep. it's nothing but positive, happy cheer. And I'll definitely be doing that uh, beginning of next week because you know, our brains are so in Spider-Man right now that it's like hard to divide time between Spider-Man hype and Christmas celebration. But as soon as yeah. this movie is done, I'm low-key so excited to just be like, it's Christmas time. Yeah. And let's go into Boston, drink hot cocoa and toss a fiver to some local street musicians. Dude, me and Aaron just had that exact same conversation. She's been re-watching Spider-Man. I looked at her yesterday. She goes, we, we were like, what do you want to watch? And she put on Ice Age. It was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat down, I go, listen, I don't want to tell you to turn this off. It's not a Christmas <laughs> movie. And we haven't watched a single Christmas movie yet. We need to do that. Come on, let's get after it. So we watched Claws um, on Netflix. Nice. J.K. Simmons. So good. Yeah. So good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Christmas movies are great. Um, and I guess my last one is going to be the holidays are hell um, from like a scheduling busy standpoint. We all know that it's stressful. There's a lot going on. You have to smile sometimes when you don't want to, you got to say happy holidays sometimes when you don't want to all that stuff. You know what I've always found super funny. Tell me as frantic and busy as the holidays always are Christmas, unless you are a family that has to drive somewhere very far away. It's usually pretty low key, right? Like, like Christmas is very settled down. Like, uh, you know, obviously I, I live in Colorado. All my family's back in Indiana, so I'm not doing nothing Christmas day ever. Um, but, but even back then I'd go over to my grandparents for breakfast, come back home, chill, play with my 64 the rest of the day. You know, I love, I love how busy the holidays are, but Christmas really is kind of just enjoyment, uh, relaxing almost. Here's a quick question for you. Are you a Christmas Eve or Christmas day guy? Uh, what do you, in what context presents? No, like which day do you enjoy more? Um, I like them both a lot. Uh, Christmas Eve is usually like di- a family dinner situation, uh, like extended family dinner. Yeah. And then Christmas Day is more immediate family hanging out. But like I said, I've lived in a different state for my family for the past four years. So it's just me and Aaron hanging out watching Christmas movies. It's all very fun. I see. I'm more of a Christmas Eve guy because sure. I, I love giving presents and receiving presents like everyone. But I like having conversations and especially now, you know, coming home for the holidays, not seeing family all the time. Uh, It is always cool to have extended family. And one more question I'll ask you before we wrap this up. Have you ever seen the movie The Night Before? Maybe. It's at the the top of, it's a recent one. Seth Rogen, Anthony Mackie. Oh my God. They love it. No spoilers though. I haven't seen it yet. Oh my God. Are you serious? It's at the, it was on the TV at the gym the other week. And I was like, I haven't seen that movie. And that is an unbelievable cast. I'm making that a priority as soon as I go home. 
don't watch it on TV. Like rent, rent it. Get the R-rated version. Yeah, it's yeah. hysterical. Okay, good. It is hysterical. Oh, I can't wait for you to watch that. Let's go. All right. Well, hey, I'll I'll bring you my thoughts in our weekly recs next week uh, ahead good. of our holiday edition of the direct podcast that will drop on Christmas Eve, I guess Friday, hey. Christmas Eve. But don't worry. Uh, it'll be in your podcast feeds from now until eternity. So listen whenever you are able to. Until then, immediate future, this Friday, December 17th, Spider-Man No Way Home. Spoiler-filled review. We are going to gush. We are going to speculate. We are going to have an all-out crazy geek news session. And I cannot wait until then. Hit us up on Twitter, at Liam T. Crowley, at Matt Remke, R-O-E-M-B as in boy, K-E. Share your theater experiences with us. Share your anticipation with us. We love this community and we love hearing from you and we'll see you Friday.